1: I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be talking to Michael all about stoicism and mindfulness, a great follow-up, I might add, to our previous episode where we had a small segment talking about managing stress and going through it and how I don't manage stress and just let it take over my life. Anyway, uh, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review a rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. But before we do our sort of, quote unquote, formal guest introduction, uh, Mike has a big announcement this week. So
2: Mike, please take it away, sir. This is a big announcement. Everyone ready? No. We, oh, no, that's it. All right. No, 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 I'm serious. It's a big announcement. I'm really excited about it, honestly. Uh, our first Udemy course has been released. Yep. We actually have a digital product on sale. Holy crap. Can't believe it actually happened, but we do. We have a digital product. It's called Svelte for Beginners. You've heard us talk about Svelte. You've heard me rave about Svelte for probably like two or three episodes now. I don't know how many times, like the last episode, in fact, had a whole Svelte segment again about, about the course, even gave you a little bit of behind the scenes about what's going on. It's done released on time and it's ready to be bought. Now, I have some information. Right now, if you're listening to this, it might not be on sale. But if you go to our show notes, or if you go to our Twitter account at HTML everything, I should have a link in the description or in my profile, or in the show notes that will give you some sort of discount, whether it's 50%, whether it's 25%. I'm not sure at this time but there will be a discount in there. So if you're listening to this, don't buy it at full price. (laughs) I'm going to just say that right out at at you. There are times that Udemy has 50% off sales. That's a good time to buy it. But I, again, imploring you not to buy it at full price. It's a great course. It might be worth full price, but I don't want you to have to pay more money than you should. Anyway, having said that, what are you going to learn in the course? Well, you're going to learn the basics, fundamentals, of the Svelte JavaScript framework. And not only that, you're actually going to learn what a JavaScript framework is in general and what it's used for. So I'm going to take you through a bunch of different things like the component lifecycle, component structure in general, state management, form binding, template looping. Like, don't worry if you don't understand these things because that's the point of the course is like I literally take you through and I'm like, this is what it is. And not only that, after you take the course and learn it, it's proven to make learning view and react easier. I've had it happen like this is a story I've told a couple times, but one of one of the people I was working with on a on a project before, we chose Svelte to do it. And before that, we actually tried to do a couple different projects with View and React with the same people. And they had trouble. They had trouble ramping up because they were kind of a little bit more old school. They were using javaScript and jQuery a lot. So they had trouble making those parallels. As soon as we started Svelte, They literally picked up Svelte in a few hours. And then when we went back to a view-based framework, they were like, oh, that's how those things link. That's what conditional rendering is. That's what template looping is. And everything started to click. So that is the point of the course. Not only will you learn Svelte, you'll learn the basic fundamentals of a JavaScript framework. So again, our first digital product is out now. Svelte for beginners is the course name. So you can search it up on Udemy, but I highly implore you to just go to our twitter twitter account it'll have the link in there and it'll be a direct link to the course with a discount or the show notes will have a link in there for sure with a discount and not only that if you go through those links we'll actually get more of the revenue than if you were to go and buy it at full price so don't again don't buy the course at full price go through our links svelte for beginners is the course i think that's all i have to say for that for now i'm going to pass it back to matt to introduce our guest
1: All right, yeah, well, big news, exciting news. I've always wanted to have a product just on sale rather than just having services, so this is an exciting first step toward that as well. Uh, But... This episode is all about Michael McGill. So Michael McGill has been in the tech industry for 20 years. He's a computer science graduate that transitioned to a leadership role as CIO, Chief Information Officer. Some refer to him as the Stoic CIO because of his unique perspective on leadership. We'll be talking about how Michael uses Stoicism and mindfulness in his everyday life, as well as how they apply when managing a team. Let's cut to that interview right now. All right, everyone, we have Mike and Mike on the line here. But before we kick off the episode, do as we always do. Mike, how's it going? What's up? How's your COVID life doing? What's going on? What are you working on?
3: Uh, Life is going good. COVID life is is going as well as could be expected. Uh, I'm healthy. My wife and kids are healthy. Uh, We've all worked our way through this, Uh, you know, kind of settling in, or I guess more than settled into now to a work from home life. So going good on a personal front, uh, on a professional front, it's been a very interesting time for the organization I've worked through. Very proud of everyone I work with and how, especially uh, the tech team I work with and how we've navigated these uncharted waters, uh, but professionally doing well. uh, So everything is going good. You know, oh, I can right. kind of
1: echo that thing, too, because uh, that sentiment, too, because I, I was thinking, I think I actually may have told Mike this, is when COVID hit and everyone had to go remote, you know, some companies had the remote the remote working set up and it was ready to go. But I told Mike, I was like, man, I am so glad I'm not in, in like working at a company that like in IT that does not have a remote set up. And all of a sudden this hits and now they're like trying to scramble, set up remote. It's probably just chaos over there and. So, yeah, I'm uh, thankful for that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was on the other side of that. I worked for more of a traditional organization. Maybe 10% of our team was telecommuters, as we used to call it, before work from home became a thing. Um, And then the pandemic hit, and then it was 80 plus percent of our team went home, and uh, it was a wild and woolly time. But again, proud of the team, and, and we made it happen.
2: That's interesting, actually. So you had only 10% work from home. So you had some system set up, you weren't completely blind going in. But uh, obviously getting 80% af- right after is, is a scramble, no matter what, how are you kind of transitioning back? Is it going to be are you going to keep the 80% at home? Or is it going to be a slow transition back into the office? Just curious.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, the pandemic, COVID was a sea change for us as an organization and it changed our culture. Uh, we are going to be a work from home organization. I and mean, I guess technically, uh, we'll be a hybrid and we will set up some uh, spaces inside of our offices, you know, hotel spaces as we're calling them. And if you want to come back in, uh, you can, or if you want to go back and forth between home and the office, you can do that as well. But you know, our, our team members have spoke loud and clear. Everybody likes working from home. They're doing well from home and uh, we're gonna, you know, we are changing our culture and we're, we're a work from home organization now.
2: That's incredible. I, I really, really like that kind of mentality when you, you they've obviously proven themselves that they can handle it. That's the key metric, I think. And then after that, you're kind of listening to what they want and creating an environment that they would want to continue working. in. so I really, really like that. I think a lot of CEOs, CIOs, anyone in the C level that's listening to this, probably not a lot, but some people, uh, should kind of take that mentality to heart as well, because we are in a post COVID life at the, like not right now, but we will be. And there are going to be some changes that are going to be happening. So we need to kind of embrace those. But again, Mike, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. We've had a blast interacting with each other. We've been on spaces together and stuff like that on Twitter. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this kind of really important topic, especially in these times, uh, stoicism and mindfulness. And I really want to kind of pass it off to you because according, like, especially compared to me, you're definitely more of an expert on this subject. And I've learned from you as as your posts have kind of described some of these concepts. But I want to give you the stage to kind of explain what stoicism and mindfulness is and how they interact with each other and how they're different as well.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for, you know, Mike, Matt, thank you for having me on. Yeah. It's been a blast. Uh, Twitter's been, been a lot of fun and great getting to interact with you on Twitter as well. Uh, yeah. Stoicism and mindfulness. So uh, two, you know, you know, fairly, or you might even say drastically different practices, but a lot of similarities and overlap and they, they're, you know, mutually beneficial. Um, Yeah. So, you know, the quick 10,000 foot flyover of stoicism, you know, what is stoicism? It's a, you know, 2000 plus year old philosophy that originated in ancient Greece and, you know, kind of, transitioned over to Rome and you know most of you know maybe you know the the depending uh on your interest in it you know maybe the famous stoics that you may have heard of Marcus Aurelius Seneca Epictetus uh you know they 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 came from Rome and you know maybe a, a little bit of a roman version of stoicism but anyway you know a uh uh ancient philosophy um that it really focuses on you know strengthening of your will um, you know, emotional management, objectivity, acceptance, unselfishness, uh, just really, you know, I kind of like to call it a little bit of an operating system for life, but, you know, a philosophy of life, a framework that you can, you can look at the world through to help you be more objective, accepting, and unselfish of the events that are transpiring around you. And, and you know, Mike, as you've said, uh, you know, we're obviously in uh, unprecedented times here, uh, with what's going on with the pandemic and, um, you know, obviously political unrest here in the United States. You know, recently, um, you know, a lot of things that people can get emotionally upset about. I mean, you talked about Twitter. You know, there's a lot of, you know, haters and and negativity going on on Twitter, and you know, stoicism can definitely provide a benefit a filter a layer a protective layer to kind of let these events and things pass through and you kind of get a little bit of an opportunity to determine do i really need to get upset about this or not um you know it, that it, mindset is is definitely helpful in in tech in IT you know i mean our you know the whole landscape of our career is servers are crashing and we're under attack and there's bugs in the code and there's all these things that can happen that can bring up you know, frustration and, and negative emotional response to things. Uh, Stoicism can help us there uh, by providing, again, a little bit of a, a protective layer where we can kind of filter these events through and maybe decide that we don't have to respond as emotionally. Maybe we don't have to let our emotions lead us into how we want to respond to this, that we can be a little more objective uh, I'll pause there quick. Mike, you let me know if there's any follow-up question there, if you want me to then kind of flow over into mindfulness.
2: Uh, no, I think just flow right into mindfulness because I, I, I think they are really related and I'll, I'll kind of batter in the questions right after that.
3: Yeah. Sounds perfect. So, I mean, I should give a caveat and, you know, anything I'm saying, I am not an academic of stoicism, um, or mindfulness I'm just a a guy from Cleveland, Ohio, who's been in tech for a while and, you know, kind of found my way into both of these practices a little bit and um, have gotten a ton of benefit out of both of them. So I'll just kind of throw that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a stoic in real life. I play one on TV or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) But, um, you know, so this is definitely stoicism and mindfulness through the filter and eyes of, of Michael McGill. Um, so mindfulness is a meditation, a form of meditation. Um, I'm a huge fan of meditation, and particularly of mindfulness meditation. Um, you know, mindfulness is, I would say, more of a meditative practice of really just being aware and being present. Uh, typically, uh, uh, you know, your typical mindfulness meditation practice will be, you know, you will sit and you will focus on your breath. Um, you know, you don't fight the thoughts that run through your brain, which is inevitable. Um, you just are aware of them and you, you know, objectively see. okay, a thought is coming through my mind. I I'm aware of that. And I'm just going to pull myself back to the breath. And, um, in the end, it's a form of mental exercise that you just kind of learn to pull yourself back into the present moment, instead of chasing your thoughts where they lead you. Um, a real high level fly over there, but again, a form of meditation I have found to be extremely beneficial for me in my life to help me just be more objectively aware of what's going on right now in the present moment versus kind of the haywire craziness that my brain wants to lead me into.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good explanation and kind of a tie-in into our industry, especially when you were talking about with stoicism and how you kind of have to react to the situation a lot. And stoicism helps you, I guess, remain calm. Is that is that correct? It helps you kind of change the panic into something more constructive.
3: Yeah, I, I think you know it, it, what it does is it gives you it gives you space to choose your response. Um, look, pre stoicism you know, I was very much a um, stimulus response guy. This situation happens. Boom. This is how I respond. That situation happens. Boom. This is how I respond. Um, No real room for me to, until after kind of the damage was done. And I looked back and I was like, oh, holy cow, that, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. Um, Stoicism applies a layer of objectivity and definitely paired. And I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll definitely get into this, how kind of stoicism and mindfulness complement each other. I think together, the way, I, the analogy I like to make is that they create a space between stimulus and response. So for me in the IT world, uh, you know, let's say the mail server crashes, you know, just kind of typical CIO type thing that would happen. Um, you know, and I have the CEO, you know, showing up in my office doors asking why he's not getting the emails about this, uh, acquisition opportunity that's going on right now. Um, there's a lot of room there to get overheated, let emotions take over, get pissed off, um, you know, and get angry and upset about the situation that's going on. Uh, what stoicism allows you to do is kind of stop, take a breath look at the situation objectively and choose what's the most beneficial and practical response to the situation, which is beginning to objectively troubleshoot. You know what we do in IT when when there's bugs in the code and the code's not working right or the server's crashed or something's not going right, emotion getting emotional and angry isn't helping us in that particular circumstance. But it's very easy to get frustrated and angry in those circumstances. So again, stoicism to the rescue, um, will help you apply a, a space where now you can be objective about the situation and choose what the best response is versus kind of having your emotions kind of pull you into, uh, maybe old repeated patterns of, uh, unproductive emotional responses to these things.
1: How much of that how much of your thought process goes toward stoicism and mindfulness? So what I mean by that is I know that if someone is trying to learn a new state of mind, if you will, or a new way to manage thoughts, a lot of their thoughts become about, Am I managing this thought correctly according to this new methodology that I'm trying to adhere by? So how much of your thoughts are, oh wait a sec, I'm not being mindfulness enough here? Or is it just muscle memory now? Is it less than it was before? How do you manage that?
3: Yeah, yeah. Great question. So, you know, just like, I mean, these are skills just like any other skill. You know, if I want to get better at shooting free throws or what a random thing that popped in my mind, um, you know, I'm going to go out front and shoot some free throws and maybe hit three out of ten. Um, and then I'm going to work on my form. I'm going to keep doing it. If I keep at it for a year, I, I might get to a point where I'm making nine out of 10 on a regular basis because I got my form down. I I, I I know how to do this. So, you know, look, I, stoicism, I probably stumbled on stoicism and, and mindfulness very close to the same time. You know, it's hard to think of exact timeframes. Let's call it seven years ago. They both kind of came into my life at the same time. But, you know, to answer your question, you know, there are, are practices, just any compounding habit, you know, that if you do it to some degree on a daily basis, it does start becoming a little bit of muscle memory. So I would say at this time, if I'm going to just spitball a percentage, you know, maybe 75% of the time I'm able when something happens to stop and run it through a stoicism filter, which, you know, my questions are going to be like, how much of this can I control? How important is this really right now? What's the, what, what's the best way to respond to this situation? You know, and then, you know, this stuff can happen within the space of a few seconds. So again, I think it's gotten to muscle memory to some degree because I've been at it for a little while. and, And look, I'm a true stoicism nerd as I'm looking over here at my bookshelf. I mean, I have Marcus Aurelius, I have Seneca, I have Epictetus, I've read the works of the Stoics, I've read about stoicism. You know, just again, like any practice, if I want to get better at JavaScript, I'm going to code JavaScript a lot, I'm going to read about it, I'm going to watch videos about it, and uh, I'm going to get more talented at it by doing all of that work and all of that practice. Um, and then I'm eventually just going to be able give me a project or a problem I need to solve with code. And okay, cool. I'm going to knock this out with JavaScript because I know it. Um, the same goes with stoicism and mindfulness. You know, these are daily practices that compound and have compounding benefits over time. And, um, you know, before you know it, you're like, oh, wow, I have a general calmer, demeanor about myself. I feel all of a sudden I like my job a lot more. I get a lot, along a lot better with with my wife and kids and, and life is a little bit easier uh, than it used to be before I started practicing these things. So again, long answer to a probably pretty easy, simple question. It It takes practice, but the practice is kind of fun and it has compounding benefits over time.
1: With that, like with you, because you, you were saying that right now, you know, you've built up the the skills, you've practiced it. So you got you're at 75 percent of thoughts are filtered, let's say. Uh, would you say that the goal is 100 percent or is there a percentage that you would not want to run through the filter that you would want to be more, I guess, impulse response?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Look, I, I'm never going to be 100 percent. You know, um, I'm human. Uh You know, and I I will still get angry. I'll still get anxious. I'll I'll still get sad over things. Um, I think a little bit that between stoicism and mindfulness, really, I I don't get as angry with myself about getting angry. I don't get as sad about getting sad. I don't get as anxious about getting anxious. I that's where mindfulness maybe comes into play where, you know, when you start feeling those emotions, you kind of just give them space to do their thing. You know, when you get in the ring with them and start wrestling them, that's when they can kind of beat you up. But if you kind of just stay on the sideline a little bit and you'll let them do their thing, they'll they'll typically pass uh, more quickly. Um, you know, I think that's a great question too about the, you know, are there times I don't want to be overly stoic about things. And I think that is probably a, a fairly, you know, common misperception about stoicism is this kind of I'm gonna be this stone-faced person and i'm I'm never gonna respond emotionally to things I'll always be you know very stoic and unemotional about things and uh you know I, I don't know that that's really stoicism really when you read the works of the Stoics that's ever really a recommendation from them. Um, again, I, I look at stoicism more as like a gatekeeper. Like if an, if a happy, joyful emotion wants to show up, I mean, hell yeah, I'm throwing open the gate and come on in, like, let's have fun. Uh, let's be joyful. I'm not really going to apply stoicism too much to joy and happiness. I might say, am I getting a little overly, uh, enthusiastic about this? And maybe I'll call on stoicism a little bit to kind of help rein me in a little bit. But, you know, I think, again, I think a stoicism is more of a gatekeeper, like, okay, anxiety showing up at the door. All right. Let's let's really question you uh, and let's see whether or not we really want to let you into the party or not um, and see if this is the right situation for you. Um, And if you are going to come in, sometimes, again, I can't control it. And then maybe I'll have mindfulness come into play a little bit and say, all right, cool, you're here. Uh, I'm human. Uh, I understand I'm going to get anxious sometime. Uh, We'll kind of let you hang out. And we'll just be aware that you're here, and you'll you'll eventually you'll you'll go away, and the next emotion will come through the door.
2: I love that. Honestly, it resonates with me a lot because I went. I never studied stoicism or mindfulness. I haven't yet. The 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 best I did was literally read your posts, Mike. But (laughs) (laughs) for me, I kind of had to do trial by fire a lot. I for seven years I was like a line cook in a restaurant, and really that. Help me get to a place where I could control my emotions a little bit because essentially being a cook, and I'm sure there's people out there in the audience that have done this, is just like panic situation after panic situation after panic. Like Things go wrong every single day and you have to react to those things. So initially it was really, really difficult, but eventually obviously you're being thrown so much at you that you learn to control your emotions a little bit more and just focus on the results and try to focus on solving the problem because there's no point – when you you know, when your JavaScript code doesn't work, what's the use of getting angry? There's no point to get angry. The point is to go and look at it objectively and see, okay, how do I solve this problem? Or maybe the stoicism way is to step back a little bit too. Like those are the kind of emotions you should be dealing with. Those are the kind of thoughts you should have. Not, oh my God, I hate this so much, I'm gonna pound the table and you know get angry and get red in the face. That is something that I've I think I'm pretty good at at this point because I went through trial by fire. I wish I had stoicism and mindfulness so I didn't have to do that because obviously that was a stressful time in my life. Uh, and it was not easy. Whereas I could have maybe saved myself a little bit of nervous, like, you know, nervousness and, and work on that front if I had followed this. So if you're listening to this, definitely take this kind of to heart. And attack it before you get in the situations of, you know, being in those meetings and everything falling in your lap and panic and, you know, having this mail server go down, all that stuff, because it will happen and you're going to have to deal with it. And there's there's just something to say about someone that can deal with it in a calm and collected manner. I'm sure, Michael, you'll you'll have a lot to explain on that situation. But with that, can you kind of take us through your journey and what led you into actually learning about Stoicism and mindfulness? I'm sure there was a a point in your timeline where you're like, you know what? I need to control myself a little bit better. And that's why you stumbled on it. So,
3: yeah, yeah. You know, it's I uh, I'm a reader and I, I just I learned through reading and there's a lot of things I discover through reading. So I always am kind of however I get a suggestion for a book, I'll, I'll usually take that person up on it. I don't know that a person recommended this book to me, I somehow I stumbled on a book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Um, not sure how Not I didn't know I was going to be reading about stoicism. I think I just read some places of some people recommending or think it was good. So I, I went ahead and, and gave it a read. And it was my introduction to stoicism. Um, and I was really intrigued. So the book isn't really a, a book s- strictly about stoicism, but it does talk about how we can look at obstacles in our life, see them as opportunities, you know, that really the obstacles in our life are, are gateways to improvement, that we have to face these challenges. And that's how we conquer demons and move on in life. And it, it, was, it was definitely done through the filter of stoicism. Um, it sounded really Cool. I liked it. I like, yeah, the stoicism, you know, this sounds really interesting. So, in my normal way, I, I read the next book about it, which was A Guide to the Good Life by William Irvine. And I'm definitely going to lead you down the long, boring trail. Um, but I was, you know, off to the races after that. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, it's funny. I think one thing I say is I, I, I kind of had a stoicism shaped hole that I didn't even know that I had. And it just plugged in. And I was like, oh, yeah, like this is something that can be like good and beneficial for me. Um, and I just kept going down the path and I started reading the works of the Stoics, you know, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which is an incredible book. Uh, you know, if anybody wants to read it, definitely read the Gregory Hayes translation. But either which way, um, you know, I I started down the path through reading. Um, and then starting to kind of put these 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 stoic mindsets and practices into play in my life, um, and again, just like practicing anything, that started me down the pathway of stoicism. And I mean, I you know I've read about that topic more than anything else. I'm always in the middle of reading usually a book of stoicism or now some other philosophy. Uh, But anyhow, I love it. It's just something that really resonates with me. So I have read a ton about it. And as you know, I tweet about it now. As When I first got on Twitter, uh, I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to create some content. And stoicism just kind of came to mind because it's just something I love. So that's really kind of how I started and kind of branched out from there into tech Twitter a little bit. But that's a little bit of my stoic journey. The mindfulness journey, um, you know, I have farted around and dabbled around with meditation a lot in different times throughout my life. So as a person who always kind of had a little bit of that, not inside of me, and you know, I've, I've always been somebody who would kind of feel a little stressed out about things. That's kind of what's my natural reaction. Um, I've turned to meditation a couple of times in my life as maybe a, a way to help with that, um, So really mindfulness, again, I stumbled on that because I started using the headspace app and with no idea that I was doing mindfulness, I was just like, it was a time of my life where I thought, you know, I might benefit from a little meditation. I'm going to give meditation a shot here again, because I was feeling a little stressed with with probably work, who knows whatever it was at the time. Um, So I started using the headspace app, which turns out to be mindfulness meditation, um, The thing I loved about it is it's 10 minutes. And even to this day, like seven years later, I still do 10 minutes of meditation a day. That's it. Uh, It doesn't take a lot of my time. It's hard for me to make an excuse not to meditate for 10 minutes. Um, And I've been doing that for, like I said, six, seven years now. Um, And, you know, still do it to this day. It's a part of my routine. I like to look at meditating, like brushing my teeth. I don't make an excuse not to brush my teeth today. I'm not necessarily going to get a ton of joy and freedom in my life today from brushing my teeth. But I know that, you know, when I go for my six month appointment or, you know, when I'm I'm not getting cavities filled and and teeth pulled and all that other stuff that I have a lot less pain in my life from brushing my teeth every day. And really mindfulness and, and that 10 minute daily meditation is very much the same. If I meditate 10 minutes a day, it's going to uh, compound and, and save me a lot of pain in the long run.
2: Yeah, I, I think that that explains it perfectly to me personally. I think the audience will also kind of relate to that a lot because any habit, like you were, you were mentioning habits before, any habit kind of compounds onto each other. It's really, really hard to get into a habit because you don't see the results right away. But with mindfulness meditation, I like personally, I do yoga every day now. And I kind of use that a little bit as a way to meditate as well. I kind of clear my thoughts while I'm doing it. Um, but I did, I've always planned to kind of put in that 10 minutes a day of also meditation. So I'm going to, I'm probably going to take you up on this, Michael. I'm going to, I'm going to try the heads, headspace application and try to do the 10 minute challenge kind of on a daily basis and see if that helps. Because Personally, like, just to be perfectly candid, it's been kind of a stressful time around here. Like for, for us, for Matt and I, we, we've had a lot of growth, a lot of, a lot of stumbles, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, obviously you have to kind of deal with that mentally. So I love that we brought you on at this perfect time for both of us, in my opinion, where we can start utilizing the stuff that you're teaching us immediately. And that's why, again, I, I wanted to head, head like, this is a tough one. The mindfulness part is sometimes met very skeptically in our industry. I know there's a lot of like, you know, hardcore, old old school CEOs that just don't see that as a thing. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, stigmatism in that in the industry about mindfulness and about, you know, manning up or whatever, quote unquote. And I feel like that's a very big negative blemish on IT and on development and all that, because it's absolutely a really, really important topic that we need to kind of drive home, for everyone to listen to, because it's it it does compound in the negative sense as well. If you don't treat it, it's gonna get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until you might have you know a nervous breakdown or whatever. So I'm really glad that you brought all that up. But I think we already mentioned it a little bit as you were kind of going through and using stoicism and mindfulness. It eventually started to benefit your career. Is that I'm assuming that's a, that that's a correct statement? And then. In what ways, like how does it intersect essentially? How does Stoicism mindfulness intersect with the IT world?
3: Yeah, yeah. To take, I'll just take one step back, real quick, and you know, I think you know, like what you were saying about skepticism about meditation and stuff like that. I I think that people are opening their minds to that, and you know, and just the importance of self care. the importance of getting a good night's sleep, the importance of exercise, you know, a a, a real quick, funny analogy. I think maybe I heard this on Tim Ferriss, or I I can't remember who I heard this through, but in regards to meditation, you know, if you think like a hundred years ago, like exercise was a weird thing. It was like that guy with like the curly mustache and the, like the big dumbbells and the strong man at the, at the freak show or whatever. (laughs) Um, It wasn't like people didn't comment like, Oh, let's go run. Let's go jog. You know, the, you know, people didn't do stuff, and probably the first people who did that were probably kind of looked at weirdly. Uh, you know, I think meditation and mindfulness and a lot of these self care things are kind of like that. Maybe p- things that people were skeptical, but probably, you know, fifty years from now, everyone will be meditating when when they see the benefits of it. But uh, either which way, as far as intersecting with IT, um, you know, and you know, you know, you know, we've been on a, a, a space about this together, Mike, and. And, you know, soft skills and, and, you know, all these maybe non-technical skills that will benefit you. And, uh, you know, I, I I tweet about this a lot, but I, I'm a firm believer, at least because of my personal experience, that the reason I've gotten where I've gotten in my career is much more about my soft skills than about my technical expertise. You know, I definitely got my foot in the door and I got into IT because, you know, I, I, I I had a CS degree and I love tech and I, I, you know, I I was a good uh, technical person and, you know, I probably got my first kind of leadership opportunity in tech because of the technical expertise that I displayed, but I I was definitely not anyone I would consider a world-class developer or, uh, you know, a technical person. You know, there's, uh, I mean, I get the benefit of hiring people who are way better at it than I ever was. Um, but that kind of got my foot in the door, but where I'm kind of going with this is I think things like stoicism and mindfulness really get into that realm of soft skills that really show that you're a leader. Um, you know, if, 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 if it's hitting the fan and things are going sideways and you start panicking, um, or everyone can see like, oh, wow, like Mike's getting really pissed off here. Like, you know, we better give Mike some space here. Um, you know, I'm not going to get opportunities to lead, um, you know, I'm not going to be seen as somebody who's like a leader. Um, but if something happens, if something bad happens, and I'm like, okay, let's get together, let's look at this situation, black and white, what's going on here, and let's figure out what the next best step is here. You know, people will see that and go, oh, wow, you know, Mike is kind of level-headed and calm. When, when, when things start going bad, that's like really a good sign of somebody who's a leader. Um, I'm saying this all kind of through the third person just to throw a name out there and, and you know, maybe we'll pretend it's you, Mike, that I'm I'm saying this about, but, <laughs> you know, again, displaying stoic traits means that you are being objective. You're being ac- accepting. And we haven't really talked about the unselfish part of it. It kind of complements servant leadership and really putting other people first. Like, how can I do something here that will also be mutually beneficial to, to the other person who's involved in this situation? So again, I think things like stoicism and mindfulness in the end, keep you level-headed, when things start going sideways, which they always do in IT, it's kind of what we're here for is to put out the fires in a lot of cases. I mean, we obviously create really awesome, incredible things too, but you know, there's obviously certain parts of an IT department that are really kind of firefighters a little bit. Um, remaining calm, remaining level-headed, remaining objective, responding to certain situations less emotionally just show leadership capabilities and, you know, leadership, whether or not you aspire to ever be a manager or lead a team of people, you know, you can be a leader without being a manager and you may even get an opportunity to go being a junior dev to be a senior dev, or you may still just get other opportunities. You may be introduced onto more exciting project teams because you're somebody who, you know, remains level-headed and calm during situations. So again, I just think stoicism and mindfulness just help you be objective and level-headed in situations which are very beneficial personality traits in IT. I
2: think I, I want to kind of uh, go on a little bit of a tangent here with you, – you mentioned servant leadership. I kind of – I've been hearing this term a lot. Um, I kind of understand it, but I'd love to hear your take on servant leadership because I think it does tie in pretty well to stoicism and mindfulness, but it is kind of a little bit on the – you know, obviously taking, taking your CIO role uh, for advantage right now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, servant leadership. Again, I think these are things that stoicism and mindfulness, again, as we create that space, when a situation arises that I can choose how I want to respond, then other things drop into that space, like servant leadership, like, oh, I want to respond to the situation in a way that will serve this person. So, I mean, you know, in the end, servant leadership is um if you think of kind of the typical pyramid of like okay the you know let's talk about an I T department uh, the cio is at the top followed by maybe a director or vp followed by maybe a, a lead of application development or a manager of application development infrastructure manager you kind of have this org chart of that's kind of the, the classic pyramid of the cio on the top uh you know servant leadership just Flips that whole thing over, um, and you know, my job as CIO is not to re- require other people to serve me or do what I want them to do. My job as a leader is to serve them and to set them up for success. To make sure that they're getting the training that I understand what their personal goals are, and I'm managing and, and mentoring them in a way that's going to help them, you know, get opportunities and, and get ahead in their career. Um, you know, in the end, servant leadership is just kind of looking at how you lead people through the lens of being, of, of serving them. It, it really turns, you know, management into more of a mission, like the, the mission of being a leader and the responsibility. I mean, when I bring a junior dev onto my team, if this is this person's first job, you know, You know, myself and the and the team of leaders that I'm building, you know, there's a responsibility to this person to help them get off to a great start in their career, to let them know that they're in an environment that's going to support them, that is going to hold them accountable and have expectation of their performance. But in the end, that is here to help them and serve them and put them in a position to be as successful as possible so they can succeed in their role. And in the end, the success of everybody on the team is the success of the team. It, it sounds a little pontificating, um, you know, in the end, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's leading people through the lens of how do I serve them um, and put their needs ahead of mine a little bit. And again, it, it sounds a little bit, um, you know, Maybe overtly, uh, yeah, again, you know, just, you know, it it sounds aspirational a little bit. But again, I think like stoicism mindfulness, it's a mindset that you read about and you practice and you go, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to read this book, The Servant, and understand what servant leadership means. And then I'm, yes, I like this. This resonates with me. This is the type of leader I want to be. Um, so again, just kind of leading through serving is how I look at servant leadership.
1: That's uh, – your your little quote there about, about helping a, a person with their first job kind of get established, if you will, really kind of hit home for me. It kind of highlights a memory I have where I remember I was in a – I went to a job fair, of which I went to many, uh, during our uh, school because we had to go through uh, co-op semesters. So one of the many career fairs I went to for that, I remember I was talking to some guy and he was saying um, – I, I won't say what company or anything, but he was saying to me, he said, you know, uh, I I basically take you as a co-op. I throw you in as a regular worker. If you don't work out, I'll just tell the school – and I'm paraphrasing here, but I'll just tell the school that you didn't work out and I'm not signing any forms and good luck. And I said to him, I said, you do realize that we we aren't, you know, electrical engineers or computer engineers or yada yada because obviously the career fair was just for more than just our our program. It was a mixed bag. And he said, yeah, but we don't care. We care about people that that have solutions ready and can do it and just kind of work through the fire. And I talked to someone else after and they were like, yeah, like that guy just gets stuff done. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder how many people he's been through that could have actually been valuable. Because if you're going into a new job, let alone your first job or let alone like a temp job as a co-op, you've never really worked in the field so you're not even used to the company structure let alone hey build this circuit for me and it's just total chaos and everyone's running around panicking because these circuits need to be built and yada yada and so it just that just kind of that highlighted that memory for me again where i was like man like i really don't want to be like that if i ever were to lead people
3: like i don't want to be i
1: understand there's different types of leaders but i really would not want to be that type
3: yeah i think you bring up a good point look i mean like how do you define success like yeah you could be a leader that gets a lot of stuff done uh you know gets projects done on time and just like leave a trail of dead bodies behind you of burnt out miserable people that you know, <laughs> you're churning through to, to and you're to while you're getting stuff done and and a, and a, a, a maybe a miserable team that still functions and and gets things done um but like you said you know is that the legacy I want to leave or I want to leave behind me, you know, you know, I don't want people to come in and to work uh, you know and be miserable at what they're doing. I mean again, you know, it this isn't it isn't just a bunch of platitudes. I mean there is there's work that needs to be done and part of my job as a leader is to hold people accountable to the work that they are being paid to do. But, you know, you can do that in a way that still is supportive of them. And, you know, helps them to continue to grow and and it shows that you have a vested interest in them as human beings. Now, you know, as, as departments grow, you know, it's, you know, you're going to have other leaders and, you know, then you have to, you know, within that department, other managers, other leads, other people that you need to try and make sure that it's more about the mindset and the culture that you want them to uh, establish within that team. But but yeah, but I'm not I, I want I want people to come away from their time of work with me feeling that in some way, shape or form, they're better off than when they started that, you know, they left that they left that experience with something a little bit better, um, whether that was through, you know, uh, maybe some tough love. And I've had to have those conversations um, to help people, and I've had I've had other leaders who've had those conversations with me at times in my life. That the unsolicited tough love advice that I needed to hear, and, and sometimes you need to do that as a leader, but that can be done with respect and, and dignity as well. Um, so yeah, I'm much, I much I I like to look at I like to play long games. I don't want to burn somebody out just to get a project done. Um, you know, I'm looking at, at, at you know long term value. Uh, of human beings and, and uh, making sure they feel good about what they're doing.
2: I love that mindset. And I mean, like Matt said, we, we've all had those kinds of situations where we're either interviewing for a company and we see that the fit won't work or we're in the company and we know that that's kind of how the boss is going to go. And I think this was an important tangent to go on because even though it's not directly tied to stoicism and mindfulness, is this something, it is part of like a stoic mindset, in, in the sense that like a leader should think about these kinds of situations where they're not, they're trying not to burn out their employees. They're trying to leave a legacy, a positive legacy with the people that were under them and trying to grow. And I think it does, like even if there was a a, a boss that was able to, you know, complete projects, but burn their team, it's in the dividends. Like if we're talking habitual stuff, if we're talking long game, like you were saying, like it's not going to play well for the company in the long game. I I don't care how, you know, how crazy effective it is right now. 6 7 years down the line, those people are probably not going to be there or the, if they will, they will be shells of themselves and not able to perform at a peak rating and you're going to be losing people like Matt for instance. He wouldn't have lasted or he would have he might have lasted but he would have been a disaster and, you know, he would have had a terrible time there. Uh you're going to lose really really good people and I've always I always have to wrap my head around that aspect of it is like how do you keep people happy how do you grow them in their careers and how do you also kind of also benefit the company obviously in a sense and and it's a difficult topic but I think it's an important one regardless
3: Yeah you know I think in the end it's a uh, both sides are equally responsible you know I mean I I'll look I I don't have a lot of tolerance for people who aren't all in, or at least in enough that I know that they care as well. You know, um, you know, I think what you do in a, in a practical sense for me, you know, I will have monthly one-on-ones with all my direct reports and, you know, it's at least 50, 50, like, okay, 50% of the first, we're going to talk about the projects we're working on, where are we at with these things? Um, are we making progress, you know, checking in on our sprints and all that good stuff. Um, but there's equal time going to be, all right, what is going on with your professional development, your personal development? What are you working on? You, know, what are, Is there another course you want to take? Are you actively working towards another certification? Uh, is there a soft skill? I mean, i throw that stuff out there too during my one-on-ones. And, and I'll, again, maybe some of that tough love, like I've observed that you maybe need to work on time management a little bit more. Um, let's take a look at some, some things there. What are, you? Know, I ask them. And every time I bring... I kind of I have a new direct report that's part of my initial calibration with them what are your goals what are you working on what are the things you want to learn both technical and soft skill Um, and just make sure that we have a plan that we're kind of, you know, there's a there's a shared goal. And at that point, I'm maybe just the coach and the mentor and the cheerleader helping to to root them on for that. So again, in the very practical, in the weeds of how do you implement this? That's where my brain is going to that kind of that that monthly one-on-one where we it's a split time. What's going on with projects and the work that we all need to do for the organization that's paying us to do, and then and then split time of what are you doing and what can we do together to help you make sure you're continuing to work towards your professional goals um you know i think that's kind of it you know again where my brain goes to of kind of what that looks like in practical application
2: that's that's great thanks for the practical application honestly i think i think it's key for people to kind of picture the whole situation like that uh so appreciate that but to bring it a little bit back to mindfulness and stoicism, and I think this kind of applies to what you were saying—the one-on-ones. How do you see, like, as a as, like for myself? How would I see that I need to start practicing stoicism and mindfulness more seriously? Is there some sort of like you know panic setting in or something like that, or is there any indicators that we should be watching out for?
3: Yeah. Um. You know kind of maybe start broad and maybe go into a, a suggested kind of quick little kind of litmus test you can do. Um, if you find that negative emotion gets in your way, that you trip over things, if you tend to, you, you know, if you're self-aware, uh, maybe it takes a little bit of being honest with yourself. Am I somebody who tends to get overly stressed out about things? Do I tend to get overly upset about things. Um, And certainly there's a line of like clinical, you know, yes. I mean, like maybe you have clinical uh, emotional issues that, um, you know, you need, you need professional help with. Um, And, you know, even then in those circumstances, I think stoicism and mindfulness can help as well. But I think if if you're in a world where you just know that I'm tripping over myself, I'm, I'm like my own worst enemy. I Damn, I did this again. Uh, why did I get angry here? Why did I get upset over this? Um, I think if you kind of maybe have that awareness that, you know, and we all, look. We all do. I mean, there's a spectrum. I mean, there's no human being that doesn't trip over their emotions every now and again. Um, you know, the more that that's happening, it may be more of an indicator that you need more objectivity in your life, that you need more acceptance of what's going on in your life right now. And you know, the practical exercise, you know, that I, I think I've tweeted about and I recommend is, you know, just whatever is stressing you out, write it down on a piece of paper, like get out a piece of paper and just say, all right, I'm just going to go crazy and list out everything that is bothering me right now. And then on a scale of next to it, on a scale of one to five, put like one being, I have absolutely no control over this. And five being, I can completely control this. Um, If you end up, kind of coming up with a lot of ones or low numbers and you're realizing, holy cow, I'm like getting upset over a lot of things that I, in the end, I have little to no control over. That might be an indicator that maybe it's time to look into stoicism a little bit to help you kind of manage your emotional response to things that ultimately in the end, you have little control over. Um, and, and, you know, allow stoicism to help you stop getting upset about things that you, in the end, you really can't control. So again, you know, I, I think it's, it's just, do I let emotion get the best of me? In a lot of cases, do I look back on these situations and go, wow, that was kind of silly for me to get upset over that. Um, you know, those could be indicators that a little stoicism or mindfulness could be beneficial to you.
2: Awesome honestly I, I, th- I think we a lot of people especially in our industry will be able to relate to this I feel like the at the end the answer is you know do it before it becomes a problem as well right because uh, <laughs> it, it's something that you could prevent in the future even if you are fully calm right now like who knows but I, I don't think in our industry there's a lot of fully calm people uh, knowing Matt and I it's <laughs> definitely not the case but yeah I think I think that's a good that's a good indicator, in my opinion. Uh, but, yeah, yeah.
3: And, yeah, and Mike, just a real, a real quick follow up. Sorry to interrupt on what you said. I, it, it's a great thought to really look at it as kind of prevention instead of repair. You know, like, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about stoicism is that you kind of do it in advance, so that when the, you know, when it hits the fan you aren't, you know, you don't have to do damage control. You, you kind of, you prevent yourself from going to a place where you have to do damage control. Um, so I just wanted to kind of follow up on that. And, and really that is a great mindset and approach to really both stoicism and mindfulness is they really are kind of preventive maintenance um, to keep you, they kind of give you a little bit of a safety net to keep you from falling into a bad place where now you're more in damage control mode.
2: Exactly. I think it could. It will pay dividends. We've said it a bunch of times on the podcast. It will pay dividends. But with that, what is something like, do you have any resources that you could provide? Or I mean, you've already mentioned a bunch of books. I've written them down. I will link them in the show notes. Uh, But is there anything else that you can tell people where they should start by, you know, learning about stoicism, practicing stoicism, and same thing for mindfulness?
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I think it it depends maybe how you learn a little best. I'll go again back to my route. I'm a reader. I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to reading. Uh, If you want to get started with the reading route, the the book I mentioned earlier, actually, I would recommend A Guide to the Good Life by William Irvine. It really is. I mean. You know, I, I I was introduced through The Obstacle Is Away by Ryan Holiday. It's a great book. I definitely would recommend it. But if you really like, I want to learn about Stoicism and see if this is is good for me. Um, you know, A Guide to the Good Life by William Irvine is a great start. Uh, there's a website called The Daily Stoic. You know, they also have a book uh, of Daily Stoic meditations. But if you go to the daily, you know, dailystoic.com I believe um, they have some good introductory materials, if you just really want to just you know, start, you know, without the heavy lift of reading a book. And if you really want to start light, you can probably just go to YouTube and just like do a search for, you know, what is stoicism. And you'll probably again, find some good videos from the daily stoic. That'll kind of give you a little preliminary flyover. So you can see whether it's something you want to just be like, okay, cool. I get it. Yeah. I mean, this, this is some good information or whether you're like, oh yeah, I, I love this. Let me take the next step and then work my way towards some books or some other things. And then go full 100% nerd like I have and, and read all the works of the Stoics and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, I think those are all kind of good reading, blog or video ways to kind of, you know, kind of wet your appetite a little bit and see if Stoicism is for you or not.
2: What about mindfulness? Is that is Headspace a great place to start or do you have any other recommendations?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there are a lot of apps out there um, that will help you. Establish a mindfulness practice. I I started mine with Headspace. Actually, right now, I use um, the Sam Harris app called Waking Up, which is just, again, another uh, it's just 10 minute meditation. Same kind of same kind of model a little bit. Um, You have calm, you know, there's a, there's a few different apps out there that kind of do the same thing. I, yeah, I'd start with headspace. It's a good one. You know, I, you know, even I've been doing this for a while. I still do guided meditations. Uh, I just find it being beneficial, kind of like the analogy I make is like, I could go to to a gym and there's a bunch of equipment there and you could just say, okay, just go start working out. And yeah, I might go hit a treadmill. I might go lift some weights. I I mean, just start doing something without really a goal in mind um, versus, you know, I could go into that gym with a trainer or an instructor who knows what my goals are and kind of helps me make sure I do an effective workout. I kind of look at guided meditations that way and using an app that you'll kind of have your instructor that's kind of helping you get, uh, have a meaningful experience during that 10 minutes you're meditating. But yeah, I think Headspace is a, a great place to start there.
2: Love it. Love it. Uh, I'll have all those links in the show notes again. So definitely check those out. And finally, Michael, do you have anything you want to share? Any self plugs that you want to point to? uh, Maybe your Twitter profile, anything?
3: Yeah. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at McGillMD921. You know, from there, you know, there's a link. I have a newsletter. Uh, I send a newsletter out every week called the Mindset Blueprint. Uh, about stoicism and some other things um you know that kind of run through my the weird filter of my brain uh so you can check out my newsletter and uh yeah i think twitter is kind of the best place to kind of be connected and see what goofy stuff i got going on
2: love it love it and we really appreciate you coming on giving us this kind of free uh unlicensed therapy session (laughs) (laughs) appreciate that. I think the audience will appreciate that as well. I definitely want to have you on eventually in the future as well. I'm sure we have a lot to talk about on the CIO side and maybe some uh, soft skills and stuff like that. So again, Michael, thank you very much.
3: Yeah, Mike, Matt, thank you very much for having me on. Had a blast. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview
1: as much as we did. Michael was a great guest. We got lots of different tips and tricks for managing stress and man being mindful and all kinds of stuff that i should probably be using to be totally honest but time for the old conclusion here so remember that we are on that patreon that is patreon.com slash html all the things i lost my place we're on patreon that's it anyway many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons i don't know where i'm at uh, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital uh, via BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris from Self Made Web Designer via SelfMadeWebDesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker via TheWebHacker.com. DL Ford from DLFord.io. We have #hashdash from NineBlock Media on NineBlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mc- MCWebStudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se and Jeff from Twitter via at the Rithic. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off.
0: You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast Signing off.